70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Владимир Гуценко, Луховицы, Россия. Я украинец, проживающий 30 лет в России. Впервые принял вашу Hello, my name is Vladimir Gudzenko, and I've been living in Russia for 35 years. I started listening to KBS World Radio in 1982. Back then, I couldn't get a response to my reception reports because it was impossible for the Soviet Union to exchange mail with certain countries. But after about 10 years, things changed and my letters were finally read on KBS World Radio's Russian service programs. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I got to know more about Korea and fell in love with the country. I hope to stay in touch via radio for many, many years to come. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It is Thursday, the 5th of January, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang Officials from South Korea's Unification Ministry are reportedly reviewing the possible resumption of loudspeaker propaganda broadcasts across the inter-Korean border. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. As South Korea braces to enter the fourth year of the COVID-19 pandemic, we'll be taking a look at what lies ahead as we continue our special New Year in-depth news analysis series today. And then coming up, we have an Explore Korea for dog lovers, looking at some of the best dog walking courses in Seoul. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. It's been nearly five years since South Korea stopped blasting propaganda into North Korea via loudspeakers along the border. But now the Unification Ministry is reportedly mulling the resumption of such broadcasts amid talk of suspending the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on the deteriorating inter-Korean ties as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang so this comes after President Yoon Sung-yeol instructed his staff to look into suspending the landmark 2018 military agreement. This was the pact aimed at diffusing inter-Korean tensions after North Korea conducted its sixth nuclear test in September 2017. Mm-hmm. So officials from the Unification Ministry have reportedly revealed that a review of continuing loudspeaker broadcasts is taking place What do we know so far? Well, the ministry is reviewing the possibility of the legality of civic groups resuming propaganda leaflet activities and the military's loudspeaker broadcasts towards North Korea should the Yoon Song-yeol administration suspend the military pact. Yoon, on Wednesday, ordered his office to uh, consider suspending the pact if the North violates South Korea's airspace again after sending five drones 
lines uh, that crossed into the south last week, one of which reached the northern fringes of a no-fly zone covering the presidential office. The military had earlier denied claims by an opposition lawmaker only to admit to the breach on Thursday. The ministry is specifically assessing the legal ramifications of such a move in relation to the development of Inter-Korean Relations Act, Article 23 of the Act grants the president the authority to suspend any agreement between the two countries when deemed necessary for the preservation of national security. But Article 24 of the same act prohibits psychological warfare along the border, including loudspeaker broadcasts and leaflet dissemination. Yes, the speakers on the South Korean side used to blare K-pop songs as well as bulletins of the South's economic prosperity before uh, they were taken down. Indeed, the speaker's enraged North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, so much so that he threatened to shoot and destroy them. The civic group's uh, leaflets primarily denounced Kim and his regime. Media reports on Thursday claimed that the president also instructed his staff to look into suspending the Pyongyang Joint Declaration in the event of another incursion by North Korean assets. The Unification Ministry official, however, cautioned against misinterpretation of the president's order regarding the military agreement, stressing that a suspension is only being considered for the military agreement and not the overarching uh, Pyongyang Joint Declaration. Meanwhile, South Korea conducted its first naval exercises of the year on Wednesday in waters surrounding the country. Uh, The military also held air defence drills on Thursday to counter potential incursions by small-sized enemy drones. So what can you tell us? Well, according to the military on Thursday, the anti-drone training supervised by the Joint Chiefs of Staff took place earlier in Gyeonggi and northern Gangwon provinces and the Greater Seoul area. The Army's Ground Operations Command, Capital Defence Command and Air Command, as well as the Air Force Operations Command, all took part in the drill. South Korean naval forces also conducted their first exercises of the year on Wednesday in eastern, western and southern waters on Wednesday afternoon, mobilising 13 warships and four aircraft. Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Lee Jong-ho directly oversaw the procedure aboard the P-3C patrol aircraft, ordering troops to maintain a firm readiness posture so that they can sternly deal with any provocation by enemy forces. Let's turn now to some international matters. The Chinese embassy in Seoul lodged a vehement protest at a South Korean parliamentary delegation and their recent visit to Taiwan. South Korea, on the other hand, said on Thursday that the government respects Beijing's one China policy and conveyed as much to China. Can you elaborate on the brewing dispute? Well, the Chinese embassy on Thursday said that the visit is in breach of the spirit of the joint statement on diplomatic relations between China and South Korea and runs counter to the development of friendly ties. The embassy then urged South Korea to clearly see the risks of the incident and take timely measures to resolve the negative impact of the visit. It also called on Seoul to refrain from engaging in any official exchanges with the Taiwan region. China's protest comes after Taiwan's foreign ministry said on Saturday that a delegation of the South Korea-Taiwan Interparliamentary Friendship Group visited Taipei from last Wednesday to Saturday. 
South Korea's foreign ministry, on the other hand, said on Thursday that the government respects Beijing's one-China policy. Ministry spokesperson Im Suk said in a regular press briefing that the Seoul government has nothing to do uh, comment on uh, individual lawmakers' activities. This comes amid uh, more tensions between the two nations after health authorities began requiring travellers from China to present a negative COVID-19 test result before embarking for South Korea on Thursday amid a spike in infections in the country. Well, the requirement is one of five quarantine measures announced by health authorities last Friday in response to the massive wave in China. All travellers from China, whether by plane or ship, are required to present a negative result from a PCR test taken within 48 hours of departure or 24 hours for a rapid antigen test. The nation also began mandatory PCR testing at Incheon International Airport for arrivals from China on Monday, with visitors coming on short-term visit, uh, tested immediately upon arrival and required to remain in separate facilities there until the results are shown. Uh, Nearly one in three non-residential passengers travelling from China have tested positive for COVID-19 amid government efforts to curb the spread. South Korean nationals and foreigners with residency status returning to South Korea from visiting China must take a PCR test within one day of of arrival at a local facility and quarantine at their residence until a negative result can be confirmed. And finally, rival political parties have agreed to extend a parliamentary committee conducting an investigation into the fatal Itaewon crowd crush by an additional 10 days through January 17th. Can you tell us more? Well, floor leaders of the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party struck a deal on Thursday, agreeing to vote on the matter during Friday's plenary session. Following the extension, the parties will likely discuss the scheduling of a third round of parliamentary hearings and a list of witnesses to call, as well as a public hearing on ways to prevent a recurrence of such a tragedy. However, the parties have yet to narrow differences on convening an extraordinary parliamentary session in January, which the DP is demanding in order to open an inquiry uh, of the government on North Korea's drone incursion last week. The ruling party suspects that the DP is attempting to thwart prosecution against leader uh, Lee Jae-myung by abusing lawmakers' immunity from arrest while the Assembly is in session. We'll wrap it up for our news briefing there. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. South Korea is heading into its fourth year with the COVID-19 pandemic. Currently, it's in the grip of the seventh wave of infections, which began in November last year, although there are hints of a slowdown now. The daily case count reported on Thursday was around 64,000, about 10% lower than a week earlier. However, concerns remain over the new Omicron subvariant XBB 1.5 and the rapid spread of the virus in China. 
as part of our New Year in-depth analysis series. Uh, we delve into what the pandemic situation might look like in South Korea for 2023 and whether the end of the pandemic is in sight at all. And to help us with that, we have joining us via video call today, Jerome Kim, the Director General of the International Vaccine Institute. Dr. Kim, hello and welcome back to the show. Good afternoon. Okay, so Dr. Kim, there's uh, quite a lot we would like to get your thoughts on today, uh, but we have a limited amount of time. So uh, we'll try to whistle through them as best we can. First off, can you give us your assessment of the current uh, COVID-19 situation in South Korea? Chung uh, Gi-suk, the nation's chief advisor on infectious diseases, expects that the current seventh wave has almost reached its peak. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes, I think so. I think that Barring the advent of a new um, variant, of Omicron-based variant of uh, a new Omicron-based strain, um, you know this wave should peak uh, in in the near future. Okay, so that's uh, perhaps good news to hear then. Uh... But there are risks ahead, it seems. You talked about uh, the Omicron subvariants. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, but there is another risk uh, that uh, Koreans have been very concerned about. That is the situation in China. Uh, there have been an unprecedented, unprecedented wave of infections in the country following a drastic easing of restrictions there. Uh, South Korea has joined many other countries in tightening restrictions for people coming from China. For example, Seoul has limited issuing short-term visas for Chinese nationals until the end of January. Testing is mandatory before and after arrival. And so far over the past week, more than 40% of uh, imported COVID-19 cases have been from those coming from China. How concerning is that situation in China, do you think? So at, at one level, I mean, and I think this is the threat to Korea, the policies that the government has taken are really, um, you know, what we can do if, we're, if the government wants to keep um, the uh, flights going uh, between and, and interactions going between Korea and China. So the testing of, of individuals um, as they arrive and, and shortly thereafter, I think, is really a key um, to, to the kind of control that Korea was able to use and, and yet maintain um, some degree of openness. Uh, for China itself, uh, you know, the biggest concern that many of us have is the fact that we don't have any information on, on what's going on. You know, there have been reports that maybe 70% of the city of Shanghai has already been infected. There are reports that maybe 40% of the Chinese population have already been infected. Uh, and we would anticipate then, you know, based on pictures and, and, and other things that we've seen, again, not official statistics, um, that there are significant numbers of cases in hospitals, that there is probably a significant um, number of, there's a significant crowding of intensive care units. And there have been reports of significant deaths. But if you look at the official figures yesterday, China reported five deaths from COVID. This is on one of the websites that reports deaths from countries all over the world. And um, and, and that's concerning because we don't know the, the full extent of the pandemic in China, whether new variants are emerging, although based on the data that have come out from last week, it looks like pretty much they're seeing what other people have seen. And, and there are m- many sort of local outbreaks of, of, of significant concern, but local outbreaks in China um, with variants that we've seen before. Uh, but there's always a risk that out of this, you know, significant increase in the number of infections, there could arise another variant. Mm. 
Mm. And, and will we be able to see it? Will China notify uh, other countries in the region or other countries in the world, the WHO, uh, about this new uh, strain? And then the final part is, you know, the the level of human suffering. I think Korea has been through this. There was a time earlier in 2022 when there were 800,000 cases a day, and you know the intensive care units did fill up, and uh, it's, there was an increase in the number of deaths. Although again, Korea has done relatively well compared to other countries. When you look at the number of deaths uh, last year, uh, it was substantially greater than the year before. So again, I think we understand. I that there is going to be suffering in China as China opens up. Um, many countries have been through it, um, but right now we, the world doesn't have any uh, further information on, on the extent of the, uh, the number of infections or the number of hospitalizations or the number of deaths. Yes, of course, it's very concerning for the people uh, in China. Uh, but uh, the concern of a variant is our biggest concern for those outside of China, right? For those in South Korea and uh, the rest of the world, you mean? Yes. And, and you know, it's, it's true that variants generate outbreaks and outbreaks generate variants. And, you know, XBB is a combination of two uh, forms of one of the Omicron uh, subvariants called uh, BA2. You know, could this be happening in China? Yes. Uh, is it likely to be happening? Um, yes. Will they cause outbreaks that, that further complicate the situation in China and globally? We don't know. Um, and so having information is, is really one of our most powerful tools. So openness and, and sharing of information is really uh, critical in our ability as a, as a global community to manage the outbreak. So new variants are of concern. Uh, a more immediate uh, variant of concern right now is the one you mentioned, uh, XBB. It's been spreading rapidly in the US and it has also been detected in South Korea. Uh, it was detected for the first time uh, early December last year, so just about a month ago. Uh, experts have said that this uh, subvariant could be more infectious and immune evasive. What do we know so far and how much of a risk do you think it poses? So XBB has gone from 20% to 40% in the United States. And if you think about what the United States has been through, you know, they vaccinated maybe 60 to 70% of their population. They boosted maybe 40% of the population. Uh, so, and, and a significant proportion of the rest of the population has been infected. Yet XBB is spreading. So we know that this variant, because of the mutations that are in it, um, is much more readily spread than even older forms of Omicron, which were much more readily spread than the other variants of concern. So there is a possibility, again, that XBB could spread in Korea. And what will that mean? An increase in the number of infections means inevitably an increase in the number of hospitalizations and an increase in the number of deaths. Now, because of the level of vaccination in Korea and boosting and prior infection, we don't anticipate seeing a lot of deaths. Mm. But, you know, if you have enough infections, even a 0.02% case fatality rate results in deaths. So, again, you know, this is something that we have to remind ourselves that, yes, the virus is spreading uh, more quickly. That means more people get infected. And even if the mortality rate is very low, there, you know, people are going to die. So, again, I, I think the key messages here are um, boosting mm. the first one. Uh, and then the, for the government to carefully monitor 
uh, what information it, it has. Um, because as it's thinking about you know, potentially loosening up on, for instance, indoor masking, um, they're going to need criteria, which they appear to have, um, that they will use to guide their judgment uh, around the question of whether masks are still required. On that issue of masks, uh, that is another issue that South Korea is uh, discussing and debating when uh, to scrap Uh, the indoor mask mandate that still exists here in South Korea. Health authorities have recently um, announced plans uh, to scrap it in phases. Uh, The first phase lifting it for most indoor facilities, except in high-risk locations such as in healthcare facilities, uh, pharmacies, social welfare centres and public transport, of course. Uh, The second phase would be to lift all restrictions So that would be decided taking into consideration various criteria, of course, such as uh, daily infection rates, the deaths, uh, patients in critical care and health care capacity and so on. What do you make of this phase out plan? Uh, Do you think the country is ready for uh, mask free indoors as well soon? So, you know, we have been seeing a fairly high rate of infections anyway, even with indoor masking. Uh, And the reason, of course, is that it's really transmission is occurring in settings where we aren't wearing masks routinely. So in our private settings at at home, in restaurants, uh, when we're out with friends eating or drinking. Um, So, again, I think this is one of those things where, you know, the government has will have to have criteria. um, And I think the Korean government has been very good about setting criteria and following the data uh, in order to make policy recommendations. And, And I think that's the best that you can do. Having traveled now in Africa and Europe, primarily over the past several months, very few places are are, um, are continuing to use masks indoors. And, um, you know, coming from Korea and being used to using masks, it feels a little uncomfortable. But after a few days, you get used to not wearing a mask. Mm. Um, and, and it's actually at that point where you're probably the most vulnerable because now you're confident. And... Um, so again, I think this is, it really should be based on data. It should be based on um, the circulating uh, viral strains and whether they're causing, you know, associated with more severe outcomes, that is uh, more severe outcomes in terms of hospitalizations and deaths. And then, um, you know, what they're seeing in terms of the capacity of the healthcare system to absorb a significant increase. Is there a concern still though, that once we, ease those restrictions once we lift uh, all uh, indoor mask mandates, that there will be a rise in cases? There's a possibility. And, um, you know, the it's hard to use data from other countries because many of those countries aren't testing as much anymore either. So although people are getting infected, um, the countries are, are not really doing appropriate testing. So they don't know and they don't isolate. Um, which actually contributes to even more infections. So I think, again, when you're thinking about the spread of COVID and the impact uh, on a society, really you're looking at, are we preventing the most severe outcomes? Are we protecting the populations at greatest risk? You know, the elderly, people with immune compromised, um, uh, immune compromise or or Hmm. diseases that decrease your ability to respond to infectious disease threats. Um, do we have appropriate levels of boosting in the community? Um, so has everyone who uh, can get the new bivalent uh, vaccine, the mRNA vaccines, have they actually gotten them? 
Um, so again, the government will need to look at these things because you know the, what we had before, the monoclonal antibodies don't work as well. Uh, in the elderly, maybe uh, some of the antiviral medications um, can't be used because the elderly are on other medicines uh, that may contraindicate the use of the antivirals. So all of these are, are things that we need to look at as the government or the government needs to look at as they think about um, trying to remove the indoor mask requirement. Okay, so looking ahead to the rest of this year then for South Korea, what do you think people can expect? Are we nearing an end to this uh, pandemic? Or is it just too early to say, considering uh, all the risks that we mentioned already? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. I think the easiest way to think about this is, you know, the pandemic had phases also. We We are exiting the emergency phase but we haven't exited the pandemic. And the way to think about the way I think about it is, you know, in last in 2021, uh, a bit over 4,000 Koreans died of COVID. Last year it was 26,000. By comparison, an endemic disease like influenza in general kills between 2,000 and 5,000 Koreans a year. So if you're really thinking about COVID at this point, it's hard to say that we've entered um, the endemic phase, that the pandemic is over. Mm. So we've exited the worst phase, uh, but we're still in the phase of having to deal with it. And, and I think it's, even, it's an even better case in the United States. Last year, COVID killed 270,000 Americans. By comparison, influenza kills between 20 and 50,000. Influenza is endemic. COVID at killing 270,000 people is not endemic. So again, I think we need to look beyond just the simple numbers of infections and the fact that people don't get as sick um, at the number of deaths that, that COVID is causing. And have we done everything possible to minimize the impact of COVID on society? So I think that's this year may be a year of removing restrictions, the indoor mask requirement, Um, But at the same time, the government is going to be uh, vigilant, I think. That's the way the Korean government has reacted to this in the past. And watch the numbers, um, because those will give us an indication of of what we can expect in terms of new circulating variants and, and the impact of those variants on society and on the economy. So there was one German virologist, uh, Dr. Christian Drosten, who has said that uh, they believe that the pandemic has ended and that COVID-19 is now in an endemic phase. And in fact, uh, he added that the virus stands little chance of surviving by the summer uh, because the immunity in the German population will be so broad and resilient after winter. What do you make of that analysis? So again, you know, I think... When I think about an endemic disease, it isn't a disease that kills 270,000 people in the United States um, and or 26,000 people in Korea. As we go through the year, uh, as more uh, people are boosted, um, as we are watching the emergence of new variants, maybe we can really say that, that we're you know, exiting the worst phase of the pandemic and are entering the, the endemic phase. But right now, in the at the peak of the seventh wave with a potentially even more transmissible variant in the offing, uh, you know, waiting outside um, and, and growing in Korea, I think it might be premature to say that we've exited the pandemic phase. 
right? So it seems we can't turn the page on this chapter of history yet, and we just need to remain uh, vigilant and cautious uh, for now, and then hope uh, for better down the road, uh, you're saying. Okay, well, Dr. Kim, on that note, uh, we'll leave it there. We've been speaking to Jerome Kim, the Director General of the International Vaccine Institute. Dr. Kim, uh, thank you for your time and your thoughts today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 8.67 points, or 0.38% on Thursday, closing the day at 2,264.65. The tech-heavy Kosdaq fell, however, losing 3.75 points, or 0.55%, to close the day at 679.92. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 2.31 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,269.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, Diane Yu, our contributor for this segment. Diane, hello. It's uh, good to see you again. Hello, Chang. It's good to see you. Okay, so what stories do you have for us today? First, we'll talk, talk about how South Korea fared in the world's internet speed rankings. We'll also take a look at the controversy over how much should one pay at weddings. Then we'll cap off today's Korean trending segment with South Korean footballer Son Heung-min finally ending a four-month gold drought. Okay, let's dive into those stories then. First, a story about internet speeds. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us more? So if anyone asks which country has one of the fastest internet speeds, most Koreans would proudly say that it would be South Korea. Mm. But not anymore. The country's not even on the world's top 30 list. According to the internet speed measuring site Speed Test on Tuesday, Korea ranked 34th in the world. As of November last year, its average broadband download speed was 171.12 megabits per second. If you take a look at rankings from the previous years, you can see South Korea's steady decline since 2019, placing second in that year, fourth in 2020, and seventh in 2021. Then the rank plummeted to 34th place last year. So the title of Internet Powerhouse is no longer viable as the country's internet speed lagged behind China, France, Japan, in the US. Right, so this is wired internet. For mobile internet, I believe South Korea is still ranked third, but still mm-hmm. for wired networks, that is a concerningly steep drop. Right. Uh, I understand the government has made a comment about this finding. Mm-hmm. The Ministry of Science and ICT and the related telecommunication industry immediately responded and raised questions about the reliability of the numbers. The ministry said, since the speed test does not disclose any specific measurement conditions, methods and contents, there are limited in objective comparison by country. And according to the ministry's 2022 communication service coverage check uh, and quality evaluation, both 500 megabits per second and 1 gigabit per second high-speed internet speeds improved compared to the previous year. And the Korea Telecommunications Operations uh, Association sided with the ministry and said that the complaints about high-speed internet have not increased since the uh, second half of last year. 
Yes, the fact that uh, the government made such a quick defence shows how much uh, pride South Korea has taken right. over its status as mm-hmm. one of the most uh, connected nations in the world. Yes. But it is worth noting that there are many factors that need to be considered when testing internet speeds, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that the results can differ from one test to another. Right. So how did uh, South Korea's internet speed fare in other studies? So the OECD provides data related to the wild, wired and wireless internet of each member country through the OECD high-speed network portal by using prominent private companies such as MLab and Steam to calculate the speed. And according to the organization, the average internet speed ranking for South Korea as of the year 2020 to through 2021, was 24th in the MLab test and 1st in the STEAM test. Right, so there is a clear difference depending on how you test the speed. Mm -hmm. In any case, it is something that uh, Korea will want to monitor moving forward as fast internet speeds will still be essential for uh, many future industries. Mm Let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? So controversy over congratulatory money for weddings has surfaced after a story about a man and his wife paying 100,000 won, which is about $79 at a a senior work colleague's wedding, was posted on an online community. At Korean weddings, it's customary for guests to give congratulatory money in an envelope. The money is given to the bride and groom to help them pay for the reception or any other wedding expenditures. Right, so giving money is the when attending weddings in Korea. Mm But why did this particular incident cause so much controversy? That's because there was an issue with the amount that was given that left both the man and the groom feeling offended. The writer said that he paid 100,000 won because that's the amount of congratulatory money the senior colleague gave him at his wedding. So he paid the same amount. However, the difference was that the man brought his wife with him and they ate a meal at the wedding together. Hearing this, the groom inexplicitly uh, expressed that he was not happy. The writer said that he felt like the groom was treating him like a homeless person who can't afford a meal. People reacted differently to the story online. Some sided with the writer saying that the groom is too calculating and that just uh, just being there to celebrate together is meaningful enough. Whereas some took the groom's side saying that the cost for one meal is way higher these days and that he should have paid at least 150000 or about $118 to cover his wife. Okay, so then uh, how much money should people pay then? What's the norm? So there's no rule book to this, so it differs from person to person. Some people pay more because they're close friends, and others choose to do the bare minimum. A marriage information company conducted a survey on 300 unmarried men and women in April last year. 48% of the respondents said that they thought 50,001 would be appropriate, while 40% said that 100,001 would be enough. So the average amount of the proper congratulations Congratulatory money was 79,001 or about $62. Yes, I feel this story says more about the two colleagues' relationship rather than the practice of <laughs> right. uh, wedding money. It seems that uh, there were some perhaps uh, underlying issues already. Perhaps. Uh, this isn't a new dispute, of course. People have been arguing about this sort of thing for a very long time. Right. But yes, uh, it can be a bit of a minefield. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to our third story. What else do you have for us today? Well, Son Heung-min is back. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur's Korean star has finally ended a four-month goal drought. Son scored a key goal with his left foot in the 72nd minute of Spurs' 4-0 victory over Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park in London, England on Wednesday local time. It's the fourth goal in 16 games in the Premier League this season for the South Korean, who has been quiet since bagging a hat-trick against Leicester City in September last year. 
Right, so only the second game he has scored in all season, mm-hmm. in other words. Uh, it's been a difficult period for Son, who has, of course, not been 100% fit either, and that has affected his form. Right. Uh, the past few months have been particularly tough for Son to get his head in the game because of his facial injury. The forward had gone through surgery for multiple fractures around his left eye, which he sustained during a collision with an opposing player back in November. He has been wearing a protective face mask since then, even when he captained South Korea at the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. So there were some concerns about Son losing his confidence in the drop in performance due to the surgery, but with his goal on Wednesday, he proved them wrong for sure. And for uh, just four minutes before, in the 68th minute, Son also got an assist with a pass that led to Matt Doherty's goal. Right, I'm pretty sure that Son himself wanted the goal more than any other player or fan. Right, and it showed in his celebration. He roared loudly during his celebration and even threw off the protective mask he had been wearing throughout the game. In an interview with Sky Sports after the match, Son expressed his satisfaction, saying that the team turned the tables around in the second half, scored four goals, and dominated the game. And regarding the nine-game goal drought in the Premier League, Son said... Quote, I feel very, really sorry for the team. I hope today will be a turning point, end quote. Now all eyes will be looking to see if the South Korean can get the score sheet in the next match on Sunday as Tottenham will play one of their most important games of the season against London rivals Arsenal, who are currently on the top of the table. Yes, the fact that he took off his mask and threw it in his goal celebration, I think, shows a lot. So he right. has been very frustrated with the mask, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, hopefully this win can kickstart uh, better form for him and his team Tottenham Hotspur right. as well. OK, we'll wrap it up there for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. We've come now to our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we journey across the peninsula to discover Korean cultural, historical and travel highlights that the country has to offer. And for that this week, we have joining us in the studio, Hannah Roberts, our travel explorer, ready to introduce us to some places to visit. Hannah, hello. It's great to have you back. Always happy to be here. Okay, so what are you introducing us to today? Today is uh, for all the dog owners, I say all the dog owners, all us dog owners <laughs> uh, living in Seoul, people considering getting a dog here or for people who are thinking about moving or travelling to Seoul with their furry friend. Uh, I'm going to go through some of Seoul Tourism Organization's best suggestions for dog walking courses, as well as some top tips and must-knows for dog owners in Seoul and the rest of Korea. Yes, as you've hinted, as a dog owner <laughs> myself, I am very interested in this topic today. And many in Korea... Would too nowadays, as living with pets is uh, a very fast-growing trend in Korea, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, Pet culture in South Korea in general has been rapidly increasing in recent years. Of the 23 million households across Korea, nearly 6.5 million of them have pets. So that makes around one-third of all people in Korea that Mm. own animals. Uh, Among those pets, of which there are over 8.5 million, over 75% of them are dogs. Uh, and adjacently, the pet industry is in Korea is 
ever growing, mm. uh, estimated at around 3 trillion won as of 2020. So it should come as no surprise that in the last few years, pet friendly and pet specific places and events have been popping up all over the place. As pet parents are a huge market, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so now Seoul Tourism Organization has made some suggestions for beautiful walks in Seoul to take with our four-legged friends. Yes, it's been a booming trend in recent years. Mm-hmm. I would say just 10 years ago even, it was a completely different environment. But now there are so many dog-friendly places to visit and for pet owners to enjoy. So with that in mind, let's get into the suggestions by this whole tourism organization. So where should we check out first? So there are seven different recommended routes in seven different districts in Seoul. Mm. And it's worth noting that each suggestion includes a dog park if you like to take your dog to that kind of place. Mm. Uh, And they also try to keep to non-concrete footpaths mainly on these routes, which is really nice. Uh, so my favourite of the courses that they've suggested are the ones in Dongdaemungu, uh, Gwangjinggu and Mapogu. So shall we start with Dongdaemun? Sure. Dongdaemun okay. it is. Yes, let's start with Dongdaemun. Okay. So the trail in Dongdaemungu starts at the Chang'an Bridge and takes you south on the embankment path of the Chungangcheon stream, which is a small subsidiary of the Han River. You can walk along the so-called Fall Maple Road, named as such after the beautiful red foliage of the Japanese maple trees that line the path mm-hmm. and turn that lovely red in the autumn. Sure. Uh, you can walk down to Gunja Bridge before turning back. And at the end of the course, besides Chang'an Bridge, is the Dongdaemun District Dog Park, which is one of the smaller and simpler dog parks of the city, but it is open 24-7. Oh, and okay. there are no restrictions on the size of the dog or mm. anything like that. This whole route is around five kilometers total, which takes around one and a half to two hours. But if you want to walk for a bit longer, they suggest that you head north instead of south from Chang'an Bridge towards Chungang Bridge, which takes you along a path of cherry blossom trees, which is perfect for the upcoming spring. Sure, yeah. And that course totals around 10 kilometers in length. Wow, so for those especially energetic dogs, this sounds like a good lengthy route that will uh, tire them out. Yes. So how do we get there? So the nearest parking lot is at Myeonmokdong Reservoir Public Parking Lot. Uh, if you are going to take the subway, if you have a small dog, uh, you can go to Changampyeong Line 5, um, Changampyeong Station, or you can go to Sagajong Station on Line 7 to get to either of the two bridges, that's Kunja Bridge or Changan Bridge. Okay, so that's a good start, I think. Uh, next, what about Gwangjinggu? So the Gwangjinggu route suggestion is very popular with both dog walkers and people without dogs too. Mm. It's the Achasan hiking trail, open to all people and animals, and is famously beautiful in the autumn because of its heavy tree coverage and thus stunning autumn foliage views. Sure. This walking route goes up Achasan Mountain and around the fortress, but... And I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> this is a good hiking course for beginners. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and is very suitable thus for dogs too. Mm. The suggested route will take between one and one and a half hours. And it starts at the Atrasan Fortress Meeting Square, passes through the Ecological Park and heads up to Camel's Pass, which is at the top, before looping back around to the Meeting Square. Just one and a half kilometres away from the starting point, so uh, about 20 minute walk, mm. 
there is the Kwangjingu Dog Park, which is more regulated than the Dongdaemun Park. Here, dogs are separated by size and must be registered to enter. Uh, the park is closed on Mondays, but is open from 10am to 9pm every other day. Right, we should also warn that Achasan gets very busy in the autumn uh, season and on weekends, with the mountain being low and fairly easy to walk to the top. Mm. Uh, so it might not be easy to avoid crowds. So uh, perhaps this route is best recommended for people whose dogs are sociable and happy being around lots of people. Yes, I agree. So if that does apply and they would like to venture out to Achasan, how can they get there? So if you're taking the subway again, it's best to go to Cheonggu or Gwangnaru Station, which are both on Line 5. And it's about a 15-minute walk from either of those stations. Mm. If you're driving, if you have a big dog, parking is a little bit tricky, but it is doable. Uh, Gui Baseball Stadium is the best option. But if you're going on the weekend, you can also try and park in Dongyi Elementary School parking lot as well. Okay, last but not least for us today, Mapo. It's uh, just across the river from Yoido, where <laughs> KBS here is located, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, the Mapogu Dog Walking Trail is located inside the popular Sky Park, famous for its fields of pink muli and silver grasses in the autumn time. However, the main attraction of this walking route is the road that is lined with metasequoia trees, mm. also known as Dawn Redwoods. It's a, it's a nearly four-kilometre course that takes between an one and a half and two hours and passes through mainly less popular parts of the park, which would be good for those of us with maybe anxious dogs mm. or dogs who are not so good, you know, meeting other people. Uh, this route begins at Peace Park and walks you through the giant trees and then heads up to the well-known Sky Park to see the grasses and flowers before heading back to complete the circle at that starting point. Mm. Right at that starting point, there is the World Cup Park Dog Playground, which also requires registration and size separation, and uh, it has the same operating hours of Tuesday to Sunday, 10am to 9pm. Right, and we should perhaps also add that uh, all the dog parks and playgrounds that we mentioned so far are public dog parks and free to use yes. as well. And they are places where you can take your dog off the leash as long as they, don't, as long as they do play well with other dogs, yes. of course. Uh, so how do we get then to the Mapogu dog walking trail? So to get to that trail, you can park at a Peace Park parking lot. The park opens at 7am in the winter, 5am in the summer and closing times also vary depending on the season. So it's good to check before you go. I wouldn't recommend taking public transportation because it's a little bit of a walk away. Sure. Uh, but it is there if you don't have access to a car. So three trails, that all sound great, although it is a bit cold at the moment, so perhaps <laughs> best to seek them out when it gets a little warmer, Yes. especially for uh, dogs that do not do well in the cold. And as you said, there are four more trails recommended by these whole tourism organisations. So there are more routes to seek out. Uh, finally, what are some tips that you'd like to share for those who want to take their furry friends out for a walk in these uh, parks and beyond? So you'll know this already, but I mentioned dog registration a few times about entering the playgrounds. That doesn't mean registering for a membership for the parks, right. but that means uh, your dog has to be registered with your local district from the age of two months or older, which is mandatory for all dog owners in Korea. Right. Essentially, it's a chip basically, yes. right, the chip system. And there are uh, local government subsidies making it very affordable uh, to get your dog chipped. I yes. believe it's only 
10,000 won in Seoul at the moment, which is less than $8. So there's really no excuse to no uh, get excuse. it done. Right. And it is mandatory. You can get a big fine if you don't do it. Sure, of course, <laughs> as well. Yes. You might also be wondering why I've mentioned parking so much. I usually like to recommend public transport routes before I recommend parking in this segment. But uh, having a dog in Korea, especially a larger one, requires taking a car to your location. So in Seoul, at least, dogs can take public transport. But with, with the exception of service dogs, of course, they must be fully contained within a carrier. So that means their whole body has to be inside a carrier and they can't be let out in the station at all. So it's a lot easier to take a small dog on, tr- on buses sure. and trains. But big dogs, they'll have to take the car. So even on a leash, uh, you can't let the dog walk by itself in the station, yeah. like in some countries. Uh, so unfortunately, you have to keep that in mind. That's right, yeah. But if you don't have a car, uh, something that's very handy here are pet taxis. There are many ride-hailing services uh, that provide pet taxis nowadays, so you can look them up on Instagram and on Google. Sure, taxis specifically designed to help you carry pets. Yes, exactly. And uh, just one last tip, which we should all know anyway, but... Just remember, always carry poop bags. Always <laughs> leash your dog. It's uh, it it's illegal to take your dog off a leash in a place which is not a designated mm. off-leash area like those parks. And uh, if you're bringing a dog from overseas or if you're going to get a dog here, check whether your dog is a breed that needs a muzzle or not because some dogs are required by law to wear a muzzle. Yes, I think they include uh, Pitbull Terriers, uh, Staffordshire Terriers, Rottweilers and uh, some others. Uh, These are generally large breeds. Uh, Despite the boom in dog ownership in Korea, most dogs in Korea are still quite small, less than 10 kilos. Uh, They are generally... You know, small dogs, they're better suited for apartment life. So people are still not used to seeing uh, big dogs out and about. So do keep that in mind as well. Right. I feel there is more we could talk about on this topic, but uh, we'll have to leave (laughs) it there for today. Perhaps we'll approach it again at some point. Hannah, thank you for those recommendations and uh, take care. We'll see you again next time. See you soon. This is violinist Lee Yoon, concertmaster at Staatskapelle Berlin. You are listening to Korea 24. We've come now to Morning Edition Preview, our final segment, where we take a look at some interesting features reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald, and for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, has joined us now to tell us about what he's seen. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. OK, so what caught your eye first for tomorrow? Well, I picked an interesting interview between Lee Gyuri and the South Korean animator Kim Hae-suk. It gives a lot of insight into what happens behind the scenes at top animation studios, as well as how Kim was able to enter the industry. The interview can be found in the lifestyle section of the Korea Times. Kim has worked on many successful animations from Pororo the Little Penguin, Mung and Her Story, two short films that were both invited to international festivals, and the Academy Award-winning feature Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is actually one of my favourite movies. Yes. So, wow, some major titles there. Uh, Let's start at the beginning, though. When did her interest in animation start? That would be in middle school. The article says that Kim loved to draw, and her teacher introduced her to possible professions in the animation industry after seeing her drawings. 
She then studied animation at the Gae Won School of Art and Design. During this time, Kim started her first job at a local production studio. And then fast forward to around 2004, Kim had already worked on several projects and started attending international film festivals. That was when she was inspired to excel at her job and moved to work with companies like Sony Pictures, Disney and Pixar. Wow, so all the big names in animation, it seems, then. Uh, You mentioned that the interview gives insight into what happens behind the scenes at uh, top animation studios. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Well, a big point that was raised was about a difference between companies in Korea and abroad. The animator said that she was very shocked by the working environment overseas. Shocked in a good way. Mm. She felt that there was a lot more communication because of the number of meetings and discussions. As there were many meetings, colleagues were able to exchange ideas and get a better understanding of the projects they were working on. There's a lot more information in the interview, so I think it's worth the read. Yes, I think it gives insight into the uh, Korean environment for animation studios as well through her comments. So yes, it does sound interesting. Does sound interesting. Uh, Check out more in tomorrow's Korea Times. Let's move on. What's the next story we have for us? Well, next is an article by Song Sung Hyun that can be found in the weekend section of the Korea Herald. I'm not sure about you, Jango, but if I want to find out the date or make a note of an appointment, I just use the calendar that is on my phone. Mm. Well, I could be doing something wrong, as apparently there is a superstition in Korea that certain types of printed calendars bring you luck. Okay, so uh, what type of a printed calendar is believed to bring you the most luck then? That would be calendars from banks. It is believed that they attract wealth. Right, okay. (laughs) When a woman who lives in Seoul visited two local banks to get a calendar in mid-December, they were already sold out. And she's not alone. There are many posts online made by people with similar experiences. An official from a local bank explained that clients start asking for a calendar from November. There is a huge demand for them. The article also mentions that a total of 5 million calendars were printed by banks last year. It's also worth mentioning that not everyone buying these calendars believe in the superstition. Mm. One person said they only bought one because their favourite singer Ayu was featured on it. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I guess it's quite amazing how many are still uh, bought these days, how many calendars are bought, especially with, as you said, a lot of people will just use the calendar on their phone nowadays. Right. There are even people who end up having to buy printed calendars from online secondhand marketplaces. Prices range from $1 to $5, and there are some sets that even go for $115. (laughs) $115? Sounds like not buying a calendar will bring you wealth from the money (laughs) you save. But I guess uh, some people just believe in this superstition. It's an interesting uh, local superstition nonetheless. Okay, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for bringing us those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And we wrap up our show there. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.